Hi, this is Marcy McNeil, producer of the Next in Ed podcast. If you have a topic you think we should discuss, or someone you think we should interview, or if you would just like to give us some feedback, you can email us at nextinedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us through Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And now, we hope you enjoy the following episode. I'm Joe. And I'm Julie. Julie, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. You know. How are you? It, it's, I'm, I'm okay. Okay. Um, it's, too, it's getting to be a, a common thing when we come on the air and I have to brag about Julie about something else. Um, I don't mind. You know, you're, you're just like you're <laughs> rocketing to stardom right here in front of my eyes. And I don't know how I feel about it. You know? It's, uh, yeah. I actually, I love it. I was going to say, you're um, my publicist. Yeah. You've been my publicist so for years. In, in light of that, <laughs> so I just find out that you know, part of what you did today, besides your amazing teaching job, is um, you were on TV. Yes. I got so to be on tell, television tell today. Us about it that. hasn't been aired, but uh, Mobile County Public Schools has a, a television segment and uh, called Homeroom. Oh, that's right. We talked to Quentin about we that. We talked to Quentin about that, and uh, he was there. I got to see Quentin. And the home Did room, he set that up for you? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stop. And, uh, yeah, he's like, okay, you're on the podcast. I'll get you on the TV. Right? No. Yeah. You got me on the podcast? Quit pro Anyway, so uh, they interviewed the Teachers of the Year this year um, for elementary, middle, and high. Oh, so now it ties back to that. So, yeah. Well, how was it? it was how fun. was it being in the – where was the studio? Quentin told us about a couple of locations. Oh, it's around studios. the corner from this studio. So it's at, it's at Central Office. Yeah, it's in okay. this building, and uh, it, it's it was nice, and it was really nice. What I enjoyed most about it was listening to the other two uh, teachers and learning about them and what they do. Yeah, that was one's really middle nice. school and one's mm-hmm. high school, right? Yeah, yeah. One's Very a high cool. school right. English teacher, and one is a, a media specialist, and then I'm a elementary science teacher. So we've got a lot of different backgrounds, and yeah, so it's nice was eclectic mix. So it'll, it'll be aired. I don't know when, week or so. But Some it was point, fun. but you'll be on TV now too. Hey, and it'll be behind, outside of the mic, outside of the podcast, and see in the front face. of the camera. In front of the camera. Wow. Rock just shooting to stardom, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and all I did Whatever. today was try to <laughs> fight all this pollen. <laughs> I'm I'm dying. Oh, Joe! It's uh it's that time of year. Yeah, it is. Um, the oak trees have sprinkled their fairy dust upon the south. <laughs> <laughs> yellow snow. <laughs> That's our yellow snow, anyway. So we've got uh we've got a good guest today. I'm li- I'm really looking forward Dude. to talking to her. I know you know her, so yes. I'm gonna let you introduce her. But one of the topics that we've brought up a couple of times uh, in this podcast series so far has been, you know, we live at a port in a port city. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of industry here, and that attracts a lot of people from around the world. Mm-hmm. So we've got, we have so many have languages that are mm-hmm. spoken here in, in this little port city of ours, and we have to have a way to take care of those kids when they're here in, in the mm-hmm. schools. So I'm, I'm looking forward to having that conversation today with yeah. our guest. You we've had to? a couple of other, yeah. you know, guests on to talk about that. And, but also our guest wants to talk about socio-emotional learning, SEL. And a couple of other things. Another acronym. Not so ESL, but SEL. Okay, so we're going to have to get into that in a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but yeah, well, first of all, let me introduce Tiffany Brown. 
Hey, thank y'all for inviting me out here. <laughs> yeah, is it no more? No more waiting on that. So we have Tiffany Brown on today, and she is a teacher at Davidson High School. And I know her. I've had the good fortune of meeting her through National Board certification, but also I taught her two precious daughters. Oh my goodness! Is that right? Yes, Frankie and Rayleigh, and they are just oh, and Robbie. Oh my gosh, Robbie's in, Robbie's in kindergarten. Yes, and I have him now, and and he is he is. Uh, just phenomenal. He, I love that kid. All of my kids <laughs> love Miss Nightheart. Everyone loves Miss oh, Nightheart. Well, yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> I, my, both of my boys had her. So, and so anyway, I just love Robbie. Yeah. So, so we still got one. No more coming? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. You should have seen the look on her I know. face. <laughs> She's like, no. So we are glad to have you here, and thanks for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. So I, I don't know you as well as, as Julie does. So if you don't mind, let's back up and let's get your story on how you got into education and how you got into doing what you're doing today. Well, as far as like how I got into education, there's always that uh, one or a couple of teachers who really influence you in high school. And I graduated from Theodore High School and I had go some Bobcats. amazing, go Bobcats, <laughs> right? And um, yeah. Julie graduated. Yep. From Isn't Theodore. that awesome? I know. That's one more thing we have in common too. And uh, Lewis Copeland, who was the former principal of Davidson High School, he was a Theodore Bo- Bobcat. Okay. We have a lot of um, Bobcat grads at alums, Davidson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, that's pretty interesting. So that's when I started into. Um, so he made a difference. Mr. Copeland? Mm-hmm. Well, he put me on the path that I thought I would never be on. So when I went to, I graduated from South with a secondary English and language arts education. And when I was at South, I thought I was going to be teaching Shakespeare to children who understood me. <laughs> right. And um, I was placed um, at Davidson in my internship. And that was the first little bubble in my life that was popped because I was only used to my little bubble out in Theodore, right? And I thought I wanted to go back there. And Theodore's still a wonderful school, but that's all I was used to, right? It's what you knew and what you thought thought you would be. Right, and I had no idea how how diverse our county and our school system was until I went to Davidson. And Davidson, for the longest time, has had the highest number of ESL students in Mobile County. And on average... Um, I don't know where we are this year because this year is kind of a wonky year, you know. But um, on average, we usually have between 25 and 30 languages just at Davidson. Wow. And um, usually Davidson and uh, Baker competing with who has the highest number of That's that's incredible. My eyeballs just went. That's That's a huge number. Mm -hmm. So um, I was placed there in my internship and fell in love with Davidson. Um, I student taught with uh, Phyllis Hartzell, who's retired now and taught regular junior and senior English. Um, I had a handful of ESL students in there, but I was still thinking that I was going to be on the path of teaching regular ELA. Mm-hmm. And um, English language arts. English language arts, okay. yeah, another <laughs> acronym. And ESL right? is Here's the English, English as, as a second, English language. As a second language. And yeah. SEL that I'll talk about in a minute is social and emotional learning. Yeah, I wrote I wrote all those down. I know. <laughs> like I should give you a quiz at the end of <laughs> this, right? I had four of them written down, and then I realized I missed one. <laughs> oh, dear. So. And then an ELL is English language learner. Yep. That's the child. And, you know, you know, everybody's trying yeah. to throw out new acronyms. That's right. They That's name things. You know, when they get bored, they throw a new acronym That's at right. us. So now Educanese. they're called ELs, just English learners. Oh, but, you know, ELs. See, That's what I had that one. <laughs> okay, E-L. good. EL. See, I knew L. that. Okay. Okay, back on track, though. Back so, on track. So um, the year uh, in 2008, when I was trying to get hired on 
um, our state was in proration. So there were very few new hires. And I actually didn't know if I was going to get a job or not. That was also back in the days of graduation exams. So Mr. Copeland hired me as a tutor um, okay. to do graduation exams. And he said, Tiffany, you know, I, I still don't have uh, an ELA position. I don't have an English language arts position. And um, one very hot day where the air conditioner was not working at Davidson in July, I was tutoring for the grad exam and I had on a t-shirt and, you know, some sandals and did not look like I was dressed for an interview. And the assistant principal says, hey, Mr. Copeland wants to see you. He wants to talk to you about a job. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not dressed for an interview. He goes, I don't think he cares. Just come on back there. And he said, well, you know, I don't have an ELA position, but I have an ESL position. And I didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. You're like, what's that acronym? Right. And uh, he said, well, in the state of Alabama, um, this was before Praxis. This was before South's program got started. Um, in the state of Alabama, if you were English and language arts certified, then you were certified to teach English learners or ESL at the secondary level. So um, I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, you just teach them how to speak English like, as if it was going to be easy. You know, <laughs> that's all you got to do. Like, and I said, but Mr. Copeland, I only speak English. And he said, oh, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out, and we'll use this as a stepping stone, and as soon as a position opens up in English language arts, then you can step on in, and um, it was a very different view of ESL back then than it is now, because now, a lot, you know, a lot of people want to get into this, mm-hmm. uh, which is wonderful, and I think that comes from advocacy and awareness of the program, agreed, right? Agreed. Um, Do you think it was, like, less inclusive um, at the time? I mean, how, how was it different? I guess, I don't know if it was less inclusive, but it was just one of those things. There were there were other things that were uh, pushed. Or prioritized. Or prioritized, gotcha. right? Gotcha. Um, and just kind of put on the back burner. Right. Where now it's a little more. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. A little more forward. Exactly. So I got into that my first year, and there's no curriculum for it. And so I was just, you know, grabbing at straws. I had no training in it. Um and this was also before smart boards and things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm not that old, but, <laughs> but I, there I, but there, a lot of technology, I had a green right. chalkboard, right? Yeah. And I floated and I had to rent or from the library, the projector screen if I wanted to do anything. So, you know, I can remember like writing vocabulary words on my own uh, little tiny whiteboard and then erasing it and starting it over again, you know, when I would have to move into weird uh, spots. See, and, and I was even thinking smart board, not even smart board or dry erase board, just... Mm-mm. Chalk. Yep. yep. And, you know, <laughs> made our own flashcards. But the greatest thing about Davidson was Brenda Bolton was the assistant principal at the time. And um, she was already a very forward thinking, you know, person when it came to ESL. And she said, you know what? You're certified and highly qualified in English language arts. So I, w- I want you to teach English 9 and English 10 to the ELs. So they'll be able to get their core credit. And you'll have ESL electives. And, you know, ESL is different at every grade level. So a lot of, um, like at the elementary and the middle school level, it's referred to as pull out um, or small group remediation. But at the high school level, you actually have scheduled classes. So these kids, these students, they get elective credits for it. And at Davidson, they were able to get core credit because we were doing the same pacing guide, following the same uh, state standards for English 9 and English 10. So I was still getting the best of both worlds. We were learning Romeo and Juliet. We were just able to do it in, I think, some more fun of a way. Like oh. we taught Caesar and we dressed in togas 
from my bed sheets at home. You know, so. You <laughs> but know. you made it interesting and engaging and, yes. and visual. Yeah, so I remember. To understand. It. But it w- didn't start out like that. Mm-hmm. Like my first year, my first day, I have a classroom full of students. I had almost 90 students that year. Not in one class, of course, but students who needed my support, who needed language intervention. And um, they just looked at me and I looked at them. You know, like, <laughs> let's figure this out together. You know, they were overwhelmed with assimilation. Sure. And I'm overwhelmed with, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know? And um, long story short, that whole year, uh, we... We became a family. It became a safe space for those students. Um, Davidson's a phenomenal high school, and it's a safe zone for a lot of our, as any school should be, right? It's a right. safe zone for our students. And so at the end of that year, Mr. Copeland said, I've got a, I got a position. Do you wanna, are you ready to jump on into ELA? And I said, I don't think so. He said, really? And I said, yeah, I think I'm going to stay. And he asked me the next couple of years, and finally he just stopped asking. And he said, you really love this, don't you? And I do. I did. I do. I still do. And it, it became um, not a job but a calling, you know. And um, our program's just grown in Mobile County. Um, we've got more programs that mirror uh, the English language arts right. portion of the high schools at Baker, at um, Theodore. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Oh, well, I just think that's that's a beautiful story. Thirteen years ago, yeah, that's a beautiful story because you know it's the path that you didn't think you were going to take that Mm -hmm. you somewhat resisted, right? And then yet, you know, somebody—it has to be that one person that that puts you in that direction, and you find out where you need to be. Absolutely. So, so that leads you to now. So Mm -hmm. you're still an ELL, an ESL teacher, right? I went later on to get my master's in English as a second language. Um, and Dr. Martin's program when she started that okay. at South Alabama, but I was already teaching ESL at Davidson, and then I got my national board certification okay. in English as a new language, and then I recently got my admin uh, certificate. Wonderful, so, wonderful! Congratulations yeah, on all of that. Through so I, I think it's really neat because we, when we had Dr. Ferguson on, and she was talking about being a part of creating that program at South, mm-hmm. and then uh, and now we've got you on, and you <laughs> went through that program, so that's pretty cool. And then I think it is, I think it is projecting more, more opportunity for people and that advocacy. But there is something that you're very interested in that uh, we want to talk about today too. um, That is, you know, I think ties in with English language learners, but also all of our learners right now. Exactly. Yes. And, and with, with the pandemic, with COVID, with remote students, with face-to-face students is that um, there, there's a change for them and something that has to be addressed and it's it's come up in our faculty meetings the the terminology but what to actually do about it has mm-hmm. not happened and that is socio-emotional learning mm-hmm. and the ACEs tell us about both of those and what ACEs stand for I don't want to say it wrong okay. adverse adverse childhood experiences adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. so um a few years ago I was looking for grants to purchase things for my classroom I was looking for it's so funny that I was looking for tech a long time ago and now we have tech you know out of our ears right right now for (laughs) for virtual education and um, I came across this grant for SEL and I had never heard of that acronym either and it's not it does not refer to ESL Mm -hmm. it's social and emotional learning Um, and I got the grant and that's what kind of started my um, push for this initiative and um, we have a very supportive coordinator Kirsten Gentry who uh, 
you know, we think the same. And Mm -hmm. so we started pushing this in our district trainings for English as a second language, but it relates to all students. So what was the grant? The grant was um, social and emotional learning for classroom educators. It was an innovative grant. What, how are you going to incorporate um, the grant we give you and tie it in with social and emotional learning? So most of our students at the time um, did not have any access to technology at home. Um, they, you know, books can be very expensive and I was teaching a tolerance unit. Um, I've, the last 10 years I've been teaching a tolerance unit using the Holocaust. So I was tying all of this into our, um, tolerance unit. And, you know, you would think that it's easy to become a, that family in the ESL classroom, but, you know, we still have a lot of cultural lines and differences. Mm -hmm. And just because two people speak Spanish doesn't mean that they automatically like each other. Right. Right. right? Like any, like anyone else. Right. Right. (laughs) Like anyone else. So I was having to educate myself on, um, social divides Mm -hmm, within mm -hmm. my classroom and then that led into my tolerance unit and um, my focus on the Holocaust and then it led into us taking one huge field trip over to New Orleans to the World War II Museum and so through all of this all of these patterns and creating this camaraderie and um, tolerance and respect in the classroom that's how it related to the grant and okay so my question is the definition of social and emotional learning for our listeners, Mm -hmm. um, you know, learning is learning. So how is social and emotional learning something that's different for most educators? You know, we all know what Bloom's taxonomy is and we're taught about Maslow's hierarchy of needs in college. But then when we step into the classroom, we kind of forget about that. Mm -hmm. Um, at least in the terminology sense of it. Right. Well, you get caught up in, what you got well, to do. We get caught up in <laughs> mandates, right? right? right. What and you got to do, your list. and Teachers would be mm. great uh, race car drivers because we're so good <laughs> at doing 180 turns on a dime, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Because the mandates and policies are constantly changing, and it is very easy to get caught up in that. And social emotional learning um, just and all in all ties back to knowing your students, and we know this, right? So this really isn't a new um, pedagogy. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a more pushed initiative like ESL has become mm-hmm. over the years. So social and emotional learning has been pushed. So to recognize the needs of the students in the classroom. Right. So knowing your student doesn't mean just knowing their name mm-hmm. or, you know, their birthdays. It's knowing their needs at home. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing, well, what's the point in giving this much homework if I know they're not going to be able to do it? Or how can I adapt my lesson to what they need? at home and um, understanding that why he's not turning in his homework may be because there's no food at home or there's no lights or, you know, things like that. To be understanding and cognizant of what's going on, but adjusting what you do in the classroom to meet that need. Exactly. And not just making it a one blanket uh, option. Exactly. So we always say Maslow before bloom. If we Maslow, then we'll bloom, right? If we we Maslow, then we'll bloom. So if we meet, uh, and and we're not going to be able to meet every need, right? And that's very hard for We're a teacher. Yeah. And that's very hard for a teachers because we are fixers. Mm-hmm. And good teaching already does this, already goes past uh, the, the norm and goes the extra mile of trying to find out what you can do to help those students. And this is, again, like you said, beyond ESL. This is for mm-hmm. all students of any socioeconomic um, group, you know. Um, and then ACEs is pulled in, we pulled this into our district training 
a few years ago, and this is actually a CDC study for, it's called Adverse Childhood Experiences, and um, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris is who we've uh, referenced in our ACEs um, discussions for the district, and she comes at it from a medical standpoint and how adverse childhood experiences, which refers to trauma and different types of trauma, affects your psyche affects your brain development affects the hormones that are put out in your body um affects uh your life expectancy because it's linked to six of the leading causes of deaths in the united states so what kind of trauma are we referring to it's more than just you know sexual or physical abuse Mm -hmm. there's a whole um assessment that you can take with many different indicators Mm -hmm. and usually uh if we were if we all were to sit here and take the assessment we would at least hit one if not more I was going to ask about that because you know everybody has childhood experiences so what's adverse could be relative to you exactly like what's adverse to me might not be adverse to you I mean I'm talking about I guess and not such a strong you know like abuse and that type of thing oh but yeah there's like different it can be of, um, like divorce divorce is actually on the indicator right. um loss of a parent death of a parent um suicide uh dealing with a parent who has um addictions or mental illness mm-hmm. um there are so many different factors that I guess we have created as social norms well that's just the way we were raised mm-hmm. but it has affected those those traumatic experiences have affected our growth, right? right? And not just psychologically, but physically, right? That that was that was kind of a shocker for me. Yeah, especially I mean, when she mentioned the development of the brain, mm-hmm. how it can impact that. Um, so this grant that you got, this helped you. Was the idea maybe to develop professional development? Is that what you were doing with it to help teach other people about? It started out this? in just a, a personal classroom grant, but. I was so impressed with what this initiative was and how, you know, why, why have I never heard of this, you know, where we are? And I wanted to create more awareness. And I had very supportive leaders and administrators who were on board with me. And um, as I said, Kirsten Gentry, she's an amazing coordinator. And she started implementing this in, the, uh, in our district. So, so what do we do in the, what do we do in the classroom about that? I mean, as far as, you know, how do I, how do I address that in a classroom? So social and emotional, again, going back to knowing your students and Mm -hmm. how do we do that? Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that I would do this would be through journaling, something very simple, something that people already do, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of these um, best practices are things that people may already be doing, but it's how to connect it and thread it through to the to an end result, right? To, to, to see do growth. It purposefully. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and empathy in itself is purposeful. That's not something True. that we're born with, right? Um, so we have to be purposeful in our empathy. We have to um, leave politics at the door mm-hmm. and go into our classroom and look at our students as children, right. which is what they are. Right. And um, when we do that, Connect, first of all, just creating trust. So the first couple of weeks in my classroom, regardless of it being um, an elective class or a core content ELA class, it's creating that safe space, that safe environment and trust. And, of course, we're going to have our standards that we need to meet, but it's more about just 
getting to know you. And once you establish trust within your classroom, it's amazing what you'll be able to see as far as academic growth with your students. Um, it was kind of funny when we I saw the Alabama, the AL.com article a few weeks ago about yoga being now legal yeah. at Alabama, yeah. right? And I'm like, uh, oops, you know, so <laughs> uh, I didn't, you know, we didn't call it that. We call it warrior Stretching, wake up. You warrior know? wake up. But, you know, our kids are coming. that's your mascot, so. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep, my David, go Warriors, right? <laughs> Shout out to my Davidson people over there. Um, but my students are coming in at high school. You know, we start class at 7.15. And you would think, oh, nothing's happened that morning. It's amazing what could have happened at a kid's house a before lot. 7.15. Sure. So they come to me and, you know, we automatically just, just assume that they haven't had coffee or maybe they're um, just not awake yet. Right. But knowing what's happened, like I, I had a student one time who um, the parent was just getting off work, you know, at 5 a.m. and comes home and you know, he's stressed out with financial problems at home. And so, you know, he's on a rampage at five in the morning, mm-hmm. getting the kids up and he's having to get his little brother and sister up to, you know, get on the bus. And it's just this insane, chaotic, um, like, I can't imagine it's just, g- envi- g- it's yeah, just it's getting on like the bus already being that stressed out, mm-hmm. you know? So we would just start off our classes with, you know, mindful breathing exercises and, um, you know, students de-stressing, de-stressing, right? And so students um, who experience a lot of these adverse childhood experiences tend to stay in that uh, fight or flight mode, mm-hmm. right? And Dr. Um, Nadine Burke-Harris talks about, you know, how when the adrenal gland sends all that cortisol and that adrenaline, um, it, it you're, you're in fight or flight mode, right? Right, right. And she said, that's great if you're in a forest with a bear. <laughs> right. But what if the bear comes home every night? Yeah. And um, and that bear can be, you know, symbolic for many different things. Right. So when that um, trigger, which is supposed to be there in your brain, is triggered over and over and over and over again, it's going to be maladaptive, which is, um, that's what causes the medical, um, neg- mm-hmm. The negative medical effects, which is, of course, going to segue over into the um, classroom. So it starts affecting your body. and Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, and it affects how, um, it, it, connect, it um, affects their cognitive load, mm-hmm. you know. And they're not going to be receptive to the things that we're wanting to do with them in the classroom because they are just, you know, I, hey, I can't deal it's with like, this. Yeah, they come in and they have all this going on mm-hmm. with their life. And then it's like, okay, sit down and do this. And mm-hmm. they're like, what? You know, I'm not ready to do that. I can't. I think the very process. And, and, you know, one point that Dr. Burke Harris makes is, you know, she um, she works in the San Francisco Bay Area and Bayview, which is a very um, poor area of town. But, she, you know, she mentions that this is where people, when you start thinking of ACEs, where they generally take place or in these very poor areas of town, but the original ACE study was done in a city where it was 75%, I mean, sorry, 70% Caucasian and 70% college educated. Not what we always think, is it? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of times it's not always indifference to something, Mm -hmm. it's denial of something. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to put these type of traumatic events in other zip codes or in other groups because we don't want to admit that we may have gone through that ourselves. It's easier just to be sick and not deal with things. Mm-hmm. 
So getting rid of some of these social norms and taboos of mental health uh, disorders or depression or um, just addressing problems or, or asking for help. And I'm a big pot talking to kettles <laughs> when I say that because I'm, I'm usually one that doesn't ask for help. I try to figure it out on my own. But I know the times when I do have to, like, break down and ask for help mm-hmm. with something, like, it, it, it's like a huge weight off yes, of me. Yes, it is. You know? It is. And when we – so so what can we do? We're not going to be able to fix every problem, like we said. And this may not mean that the student, you know, makes an A in the class, you know, and it is very different than enabling. And I think a lot of teachers think, oh, well, you know, if I push that, then I'm just enabling them, I'm giving them things. Well, right. no, no, it's not. It's, it's making that connection, again, trust, mm-hmm. safe space, and then you'll be able to see – and then, and you'll be able to see the the growth. So and recognize that, right? And and just recognizing that empathy, you know, just knowing mm-hmm. your kids, like and I it, said, and it does. It is going to take um, determination and collaboration. It's mm-hmm. going to take conversations that happen within a school, within a district, within a state, you know, to really push this social and emotional learning initiative, which is linked with ACEs. That's I mean, that's just that part is forefront. It's mm-hmm. something that is forefront, not mm-hmm. just checking off the lists of things that you need to teach in the standards. Um, I would think, too, that um, after going through this year, there may be a much greater need for it, maybe, let's just say, next fall, when if by that point everybody's back face-to-face, um, you've got a year of kids that may have been home that went through some stuff that absolutely you know, is brand new and they don't really know how to deal with it. And absolutely, and uh, this was my soapbox a couple of weeks ago, right when I was talking about aces. Like I think mm-hmm. when you saw it on social mm-hmm. media, because I feel like again this isn't a new concept, social and emotional learning, and we have um, some things in place that help with that. We have after school care. We have after school tutoring, our extracurricular activities, but a lot of those things have been canceled this year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, our, not even within the school district, but our outside supports, you know, groups that happen at the YMCA, our Boys and Girls, Boys Club, and Girls Club, you know, yeah. things are just starting to get rolling again, and students have been on a little life raft all on their own for the most part, right. and their only connection has been with us through a WebEx screen or a Google Meet screen. And so when we were able to bring these students back on campus, that was a big, big deal. It is a big deal. And I'm, I'm very proud of our district, you know, because um, one of the big focuses that Mr. Threadgill and our district has pushed this year is let's, let's look at what they need first. And he, you know, quarter four last year, he was like, who, okay, let's get our food. Food. Let's yes, get our food, food first. out mm-hmm. there. Let's get our cafeteria co- workers, mm-hmm. who I love to death, out there to um, help feed these kids. A lot of our kids, the, the majority of our kids, a, a huge percentage of our kids come to school as a sanctuary, Th- right? That's what I was thinking is it's their only safe place sometimes. Right, right. Or it's their only just escape from mm-hmm. whatever whatever issue or trauma is, or reality is happening at home that we have no control over. And even though... Some of our students, some of mine that I'm thinking of right now who are in my classroom, <laughs> sometimes I can get into my teacher mode and I'm like, okay, look, guys, we have to get through this standard. This I, w- I need to get gotta through this. Job, I mean, we got to right. do this. And they're just totally checked out, but then they keep coming and 
um, it's because they, that's. It's the trust. It's the trust mm-hmm. thing. And that's where. They know you're there for them. Or, and their Davidson teachers are there. I mean, I cannot brag on my Davidson staff enough. I mean, these, these teachers are used to having such a diverse population in their classroom. Not just ESL, but, you know, again, from all backgrounds, mm-hmm. socio- socioeconomic backgrounds, racial backgrounds. And they know that they know their students who are in their classroom. And, like, when we talk about ESL accommodations and best practices for ESL, it totally crosses over into the regular um, population. I don't even like saying regular population, right. but into the, the population, the population mm-hmm. right, of all students. So um, I think, you know, def- getting back to what you said about next year, we definitely have to have these conversations. We have to collaborate and think, okay, we do need to find out where they are academically for sure, but we also need to see where they are social and emotionally because if we can't if we can't pinpoint that, then we're just setting ourselves up for a struggle that we can't win in our classroom. Well said. Yeah, that's um that's it's a lot to think about. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. It's really tricky. You know, and I think so many schools, some not so many schools, but some schools are in a bubble. You know, you talk about our bubbles mm-hmm. and and you know, we're not always aware of what other schools are going through. Right. You know, and you know, we just assume our students are not going through that or not mm-hmm. having these struggles. And I think the 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 posture should be that we should assume that all of them could be. Right. Rather than think that none of them are yeah. in order to be able to address it. I remember you know, being the classroom teacher, there's the constant pull between, I'll use the very beginning of the school year as an example, right? So, you know, having having gone through all the training and um, had my Harry Wong book <laughs> on classroom management and all that kind of stuff, I knew, every year I knew that what was most important was to establish a relationship with my kids first mm-hmm. before we uh, started teaching them anything. You make it through that first day, and then there, and then you start feeling the pressure in the building to jump in and start teaching that curriculum. And mm-hmm. you're like, ah, it's not time yet. It's Gotta not wait. time yet. Mm-hmm. You know. And so there's that constant push between here's all the stuff coming down on me that I got to teach, but here's my understanding that if I don't build this foundation first, it doesn't really matter because it's not going to work. Exactly. Not work. Right. That's they're not going to listen. They're not going to do. They're not going to come back. Right. And my, yeah, my English teacher brain and my ESL brain are constantly at war with each other, especially in those ELA (laughs) classes, because I want to create that calendar and stick with that calendar, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm always having to adapt it to, to keep my, to make sure I'm where I need to be right for my students. And, um, yeah, you're totally right with that. (laughs) So, and I, you know, but I think that Teachers, and let's just say a teacher teaching somewhere that's that's never had to deal with a, a student that comes in that doesn't speak English. You know, I think that they, you know, good teachers know they need to connect with their students and everything. But the kind of awareness, I think, that having students that are English language learners in your classroom, I think that makes it even more profound. And mm-hmm. I think that just that awareness, even if they never had a, t- a student in their classroom that didn't speak something other than English, just to be able to go through that kind of training and just become more aware of, you know, oh, well, it may not be that it's an English thing. It's a language thing. It's more of I need to pay more attention to what's happening in that child's life. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, and this is beyond teachers, administrators, district leaders, state leaders. 
we all need to be trained in this because how can a teacher do their job effectively mm-hmm. if they're ha- constantly having the pressure put on them so hard? Teachers are the ones in the trenches. The trenches. Mm-hmm. Trenches. Trenches. For sure. But, you know, and I think, too, when when we talk about trainings, you know, so mm-hmm. sometimes teachers feel like, oh, I'm under training. You know, yeah. and, and so they really have to think of this as something that is the is the fabric mm-hmm. of what we do, mm-hmm. not the list of what we do. You know, like you said, it's not – you know, what you understand underneath the laying the foundation of relationships and knowing your students and having empathy for them and trying to understand where they're coming from and why they're behaving the way they are mm-hmm. instead of trying to correct first. Mm-hmm. Let's find out why first. Exactly. And then let's see what we can do to to help these students, yes. ESL or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And and I think when we come back in the fall, there's going to be a lot. And, and I'm really worried that teachers are going to be so concerned with that list of the things that they have to do yeah. which to is, check off. Exa- which is why I'm definitely pushing f- for this type of well, train, But not just training for our awareness. teachers, I said. Like, mm-hmm. just train for all leaders. Because right. it has to be reciprocal. Right. If our teachers are not feeling supported, if their social and emotional needs are not being addressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about our, our death rate this year with mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. And probably every... We, we know somebody who's been affected by COVID or has lost someone to COVID. Right. And we've had our own adult traumas mm-hmm. that we've been dealing with. So, I mean, we're only human. We're just older, right, right? <laughs> than, than the students in our classroom. Right. And it's hard to leave the things that have, we have that, at home. Right. So our, our, our administrators and our leaders need to be aware of that in order to mm-hmm. support their teachers. And I think when teachers feel supported emotionally Absolutely. and socially, then it's only going to you know, translate to, translate the, to the classroom. Uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. If the teachers are stressed out. So is that really for you? Is that kind of what you see coming or what you'd like to see coming is more emphasis on administrators, uh, the ones receiving the training or awareness? Um, I don't know if for next in ed, it's just a focus on administrators. I think it, like I said, needs to be just a collaboration. Uh, it, it needs to, we all need to have the courage to say that this is real. Right. And to look in the mirror and say, and I think I could be, um, a person that has ACE indicators in my own life. Mm-hmm. And if I do, then I'm sure all of my students have at least one indicator under their belt. And how am I going to, how am I going to implement social and emotional strategies to meet academic needs in my classroom? How am I going to Maslow in order to bloom right. in my classroom? Is that the name of your workshop? No. <laughs> Well, it's not as I didn't coin that phrase. Yeah. I don't know who did, but I was gonna say that's good. You should trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could use it on here. You know. That's right. Well, um, you know, I think about what's what's next. Then, as far as you know, offering ideas. Um, what do you see? Like how to go about doing all this? Time. We need time. We need time. We need advocacy advocacy we need awareness we need um and we can't do it alone we have to connect with the community and all stakeholders who are involved right Right. we need parent training parent training you know one thing when when we had the pandemic and everything stopped right everything just stopped Mm -hmm. and i was like oh what are we gonna do and everybody just hustled up to try to get curriculum out there Mm -hmm. and now i feel like we need to just pause Mm -hmm. for these kids to come back and think how are we going to get them back Mm-hmm. How are we going to get them back emotionally right. and socially? Because, you know, you know, I work with the littles, mm-hmm. you know, got kindergarten through second grade. And there's kids who have never been to school before. 
and they're going to be six years old right. and they don't know how to get along with other people, much less another adult or, you know, there's just going to be a lot of things that we need to just pause academically for a minute. Oh, absolutely. We have at the high school level, we have students who have just kind of disappeared because they've gone to work full-time jobs or they're taking care of their younger siblings at home. So they haven't do been they able to do. do what they have to do at the high school level. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I know we might be running out of time, but, you know, in ESL, we talk about SLIFE, Students with Limited or Interrupted Formal Education. This that's year, a big an- acronym right there. And it's only used in the ESL world, but really, I mean, COVID has interrupted everybody's education right. in some form or fashion. Right. And I read some, in, I read some research um, just the other day that oh, some of the things that are coming out is to not try to catch up what they missed, not right. try to... I'll go back and say, oh, okay, they've missed all of this, and let's try to cram it in, mm-hmm. but to let's start where they are at their grade level oh, yeah. and go, and yeah. then not try to, you know, I thought that was interesting research. Yeah, I sure. think I might, we may have heard the same one. I heard it on NPR, mm-hmm. a superintendent talking about that. I read it somewhere. But anyway, it was interesting. But I think um, let's Maslow before we bloom is a great way to to wrap up this wonderful podcast and this important topic. Thanks so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Enjoy, definitely. I'll tuck my soapbox back up. Okay, we'll bring it out anytime (laughs) you want to. (laughs) Well, and thanks to those of you for listening. And be sure to join us next time as Julie and I continue to explore what's What's next next in Ed. Don't forget to subscribe. If you like what you heard, Please rate and review this podcast so others can find us. The Next in Ed podcast is brought to you by the Mobile County Public Schools IT Department in partnership with the Department of Counseling and Instructional Sciences at the University of South Alabama. Engineered by Tim VP Media Production. Music by Justin Matthews. Hosted by Dr. Joe Gaston and Julie Neidhart. Follow us on Twitter at Next in Ed and on Facebook. Guests on the podcast are expressing personal opinions for informational purposes only. They are not necessarily acting as official representatives for their schools, universities, organizations, or places of employment. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.